Anchorage. Let's turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 20. And uh, I think you're already doing it, but uh, Bridge Kids, you can head on downstairs to join your teachers for an age-appropriate lesson. Two weeks ago, we looked together at Proverbs chapter 5, which was a chapter focused on the heavy topic of adultery. And this week, somebody assigned me to preach on adultery again. Thanks a lot, Pastor Brandon. But you know what? I'm not actually complaining. Because here at the bridge, we strive to preach the full counsel of God. And that means if the Bible wants to talk about it, we do too. And folks, Proverbs really wants to talk about adultery. In today's passage, we're going to read both the third and fourth passage on the topic, which means that Proverbs has already hit on this topic twice, and now this week, two more times. But trust me, there's still a lot to talk about, and today we're going to be coming at adultery from a different angle than we have before. So, Bridge, with that, without further ado, would you please stand for the reading of God's word from Proverbs 6 and 7, starting in chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the proofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. My son, keep my words, and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight, your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For the window of my house, I have looked out through the lattice. And I've seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. 
she seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Do not, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Bruce, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> okay, to sum it all up, the message of this passage is pretty simple. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Got it? It gets a little more complicated than that, though, when we look at some of the reasons why. Why? Because there are some very practical consequences. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Proverbs is saying, look, it's not that difficult. This is mom saying, don't touch the stove. Can you, can you carry fire and not be burned? Can you walk on coals and not be scorched? I can't. Some people can. Of course not. Adultery is like playing with fire. Verse 29, so is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. If you've got to steal food, people get it. I get it. It's understandable. No one despises you. But even for a crime like that, the consequences are still significant. So think about how much worse the consequences will be for something as serious as adultery. Verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Proverbs says adultery is an act of self-destruction. It's an easy way to sabotage your own life. Why? Because in verse 34, for jealousy makes a man furious. And he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. Brothers and sisters, if you start something with your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's not going to be too happy about it. And rightfully so. What's he going to do? He's either going to hunt you down or he's going to take you to court. And in the legal system of ancient Israel... Guess what the maximum sentence was for adultery? Yeah, I heard that right. It was death. Leviticus 20 says this, If a man 
commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So this is a pretty big deal. But what does this have to do with us today? I mean, nowadays, our legal code doesn't penalize infidelity with with any kind of sentence, much less the death penalty. And even if someone wanted to kill you, our society really frowns on revenge killing. In case you didn't know that. Adultery just doesn't really seem like a life and death matter in this day and age. The prophet says no. It still is a matter of life and death. Because even if the death penalty no longer applies to adultery, adultery has very real spiritual consequences. Chapter 7, verse 25 says this, Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. As we mentioned a couple weeks back, this is no ordinary woman. She's not just your neighbor's wife. She's the embodiment of adultery herself. And Proverbs describes her as a kind of demon queen of the underworld. She's an incredibly powerful person. All her slain are a mighty throng, warriors who have come up against her and who have been laid low. She drags them down to her house, which is the very path to Sheol, the road to hell. Proverbs says this is what adultery ultimately does to us. It leads us to spiritual death, eternal death. And so even though adultery might not get the death penalty in our day and age, brothers and sisters, it is still a matter of life and death. Now this isn't just because God really just enjoys telling us what to do in our bedrooms. Now as we've mentioned before, it's because marriage was created not just to fulfill our practical needs. Marriage was created, most importantly, to reflect spiritual realities. Sex within a faithful marriage is meant to point us to the mysterious union between Christ and his church. That's why the Bible takes adultery so seriously and why adultery leads to grave consequences. Now, just so I make myself really clear, Proverbs is not saying that sleeping with a married person sends you straight to hell. And likewise, Proverbs isn't saying that there's no hope for you if you've cheated on your spouse. What Proverbs is saying is that adultery is a serious sin, a grave sin, and sin leads us down the path of death. But as I said a couple weeks back, bridge it is never too late to turn from the path of death and sin and to seek forgiveness from your spouse and from God and to find salvation, not just from the consequences of adultery, but of all our sin. If that's something you'd like, brothers and sisters, you have it in Jesus Christ. All you need to do is turn from your sin and towards him. So at this point in the sermon, I haven't said anything new. We covered all this a couple weeks back. Basically, adultery is bad. Got it? Now some of you might be thinking, wow, good thing I'm never going to commit adultery. 
Maybe you're thinking, I'm not that kind of person. I've, I've never even come close to cheating on my spouse, and, and I wouldn't have the guts to go through it with it even if I wanted to. Or maybe you're not married. Maybe you're happily single, and you're thinking, marriage sounds a little risky. Good thing I don't have anyone to cheat on. I am adultery proof. If that's you, just just hold on a second. You're not getting off that easy. The Bible still has something to say to you. That's because even if you're not tempted to cheat on your spouse or even if you're not married, the crazy thing is that the Bible says you can still commit a kind of adultery. Listen to what Jesus himself has to say in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's, that's what we covered today. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Folks, Jesus raises the bar. In this passage, Jesus alerts us to a kind of adultery that goes beyond physical, literal adultery. If Jesus is right, and he is, you can be unfaithful without ever actually stepping out on your spouse. And while there might not be as many practical consequences for this kind of adultery, the spiritual consequences are still very serious. What are we talking about? We're talking about adultery of the heart. We're talking about looking at someone with lustful intent, fantasizing about them, undressing them with your eyes. We're talking about pornography and strip clubs and hookup apps. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, married or single, straight or gay, adultery of the heart is a very present temptation for most of us in this room, myself included. And it's this kind of temptation, the adultery of the heart, that I want to focus on for the rest of our time. We'll begin by looking at what Proverbs wants to teach us about what the temptation of adultery looks like. Folks, i got three truths for you, three truths about adultery of the heart, and yes, they all start with the letter E. That's right, I'm about to pull Pastor Brandon. First truth, adultery of the heart is everywhere everywhere. Look with me starting in verse 10 of chapter 7. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you and to seek you eagerly. And I you. This woman, this embodiment of adultery, is walking around, seeking eagerly, crying in the streets, in the market. She's at every street corner, lying in wait. She says she's offered sacrifices and paid her vows. And now, I don't have to tell you that she probably isn't worshiping the Lord our God. Now, in all likelihood, this is a cult prostitute. She's dressed for the part. She's sacrificed to her god or goddess, and as a part of her fertility rite, she says she needs to engage in ritual sex with someone, so it might as well be you. For much of the Bible, this kind of behavior was not unusual. Israelite society was 
full of all kinds of sexual temptation. And yes, much of it was directly connected to idolatry. Now, we don't live in an age of cult prostitutes and fertility rites. But anyone can look around and see that just as it was back then, temptation is still everywhere. We in the modern West live in an incredibly sexualized culture. Every film or TV show needs a graphic sex scene to be sufficiently relevant or edgy. That's how you get ratings. Kids are increasingly exposed to pornography at younger and younger ages. And our heroes, our cultural icons, they get that way by becoming the most sexually liberated people. Because in our day and age, sexual gratification is at the core of what it means to be a flourishing human being. But this is the world we live in. This is the water that you're swimming in. Adultery of the heart is everywhere. Second truth, adultery of the heart is enticing. It's enticing. Verse 16. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. In case you didn't catch it, this woman is loaded. Her house is filled with luxurious possessions, textiles, and fragrances that would have cost a fortune. She's inviting this man to her mansion, and she's promising a night full of passionate lovemaking the best sex he's ever had. What could possibly go wrong with this? How could anyone turn her down? Sexual temptation often makes these kinds of promises. And you know what? They're they're not always lies. Extramarital affairs, pornography, casual hookups, they all make a pretty enticing offer. Pleasure without commitment. Someone focused solely on your specific wants and needs. A quick hit of dopamine at the click of a button. Adultery of the heart can truly offer these kinds of things, but the deep truth is that what sexual sin offers is ultimately shallow and fleeting. It's a pale shadow of what sex was meant to be. Because sex was not designed for your own personal gratification. Sex was intended as an act of mutual self-giving to serve the deepening and fruitfulness of the one flesh union of marriage. Anything outside of that may give cheap thrills, but ultimately cannot truly satisfy. Third truth, adultery of the heart is easy. Verse 19, for my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon, he will come home. This woman's husband is out of town, and he'll be gone for a while. He's not going to find out. Who's going to tell him? Just between you and me, what could possibly go wrong? So often, sexual sin claims to be without consequence. It's easy sex. It's a victimless crime. And in the 21st century, this is more true than ever. In a prior age, old folks would tell you to be careful. Don't don't go ruining your life with promiscuity and loose living. And what do they mean by that? What do they mean when they said it would ruin your life? They were talking about 
STDs and unplanned pregnancies, ruined reputations and derailed career paths. And those are all very practical, very wise considerations. But today, many of these consequences are far less consequential. With the rise of medical and reproductive technologies, sex is easier now than ever before. You don't want an STD? Wear protection. Get fixed. Take a pill. Go get the baby taken care of. Don't want to get pregnant? Get fixed. Oh, I already said that. Don't want an STD? Wear protection. Get tested. See a doctor if it itches. And with the rise of these technologies came a change in our cultural norms. We are capable now of living without consequences, so why not be liberated and enjoy yourself? And so since the 1960s, we've been living in the aftermath of what's termed the sexual revolution. Promiscuity doesn't need to tarnish your, your reputation anymore. You don't need to be old-fashioned and prudish. We're living in the 21st century. So long as we're all consenting adults, who cares why don't you be a little more sex positive? Who, who are you hurting, really? No one said it's lifestyles built around fidelity, chastity, and celibacy that are increasingly nonsensical. Why would you do that? Why would you stick to just one partner? Why would you abstain from sex? Adultery of the heart is easy now, but Proverbs tells us that even when it seems easy, even when the consequences seem to be gone, Sexual sin leads to death. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. This man is going to his doom. Adultery might seem persuasive. Her talk may be smooth and compelling. But he's going like an ox to the slaughter. He's a stag caught fast in the trap, a bird rushing into a snare. Temptation is hunting him down. And this will cost him his life. For him, that might be a very literal death. But as we've already discussed, even today, sexual sin leads to death. The spiritual consequences of adultery are still very much alive. And so if adultery of the heart is everywhere, if it's enticing, and if it seems to be easy, but is actually still a very serious thing, with very serious spiritual consequences, then how do we keep from sexual sin? Glad you asked. Today's passage has some very practical words of advice. First, Proverbs tells us to keep far from temptation. Keep far from temptation. In chapter 7, verse 6, we read this. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, i perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. This old man knows what's up. He's watching his block, looking at what's going down, and who should come along but a young man lacking sense? What's this foolish youth doing? Verse 8, he's passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, when in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, 
This boy goes out of his way to walk by her house. And he's doing this at at the wrong time. I don't know how to make it any clearer. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) Sorry about that. I mean, come on. what, What good could come of this? He wants something to happen. He could have taken another road. He, he could have waited for another time, but he's not thinking with his head, at least not that head. No, he's... <laughs> he's flirting with temptation. He's staying up late on his phone while his wife is sleeping in the other room. He's driving past the gentleman's club, thinking about it, fantasizing about it. He's spending a lot of time with that pretty new coworker, but it's okay, it's just business. And it's no wonder that he falls into the trap. He's looking for trouble. Bridge, sin doesn't typically start full-blown. You don't go from zero to cheating in 60 seconds. No, sin starts with a seed, a foot in the door. Just a peek won't hurt. This, this isn't technically cheating. But the lie in all of that is that you don't have as much willpower as you think you do. You're not able to go up to the edge and not fall off. You might have enough self-control right now, but guess what? Temptation grows if you feed it. So bridge, keep far from sin. In Jesus' own words, continuing on in Matthew 5, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes. If your smartphone is a temptation, get a dumb phone. If a certain time of the night is a temptation, go to bed early. If you're thinking about going home tonight and doing something, you shouldn't ask a friend to check up on you later that night. If fighting sin hasn't been working out on your own, get someone to walk through it with you. Bridge, do what it takes to cut sin out of your life. I can't stress how important this is. But you know what? As important as it is to cut temptation out of your life, it isn't enough. It isn't enough. Sure, you might be able to to white-knuckle it for a season. That can work for a while. But if you've ever tried to fight sin, you know that that just ain't enough. Your own willpower and self-determination can only get you so far. And again, that doesn't mean don't do it. Yes, God wants you to die to yourself, to mortify the flesh, to keep from sin. By all means, flee from temptation, white-knuckle it, show some grit, have some self-control. But know that at best, this is a half measure, a stopgap, a band-aid. You might be a whole year porn-free. You might have accountability software. You might even have come clean to your spouse. All of that's good. But all of it only addresses the symptoms. That's right. Pornography is just a symptom. 
Lustful thoughts are just a symptom. Because sexual sin is a heart disease. The root problem is here. That's why both of today's sections start by telling us to bind God's commandments on your heart, to write them on the tablet of your heart. But doing that's easier said than done. I mean, how would we even begin to fix our heart problems? We're not surgeons. Do we schedule an hour of daily devotions? Do we we try to make every prayer meeting? Do we finish our Bible reading plans? Sure, those are all good things. And you should do all of them. I mean, I wish more people would show up to the prayer meetings. But that's not enough. That, that won't fix the problem. No amount of, of holy deeds will. So what will? Bridge, I have good news and I have bad news. Worship team, you can come on up. The bad news is that we can't fix ourselves. We just can't. We can't force ourselves to hate sin and love God. We, we can't write his law on our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, That's really bad news. Because who in this room has not committed sexual immorality? Who who has not engaged in an adultery of the heart? Who will inherit the kingdom of God? Brothers and sisters, the bad news is that we have all engaged in sin that leads down the path of death. And we don't just engage in sin, we love sin. How could we possibly fix ourselves? How could we get out of this mess? The bad news is that we can't. But the good news is that God can. And that he has. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says this, And such were some of you. Bridge, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Bridge, this is really good news. That in Christ's blood, we are washed clean. In Christ's body, our broken sexuality is made whole. In Christ, our sexual mistakes are made right. And in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to live out sexually whole lives. If this is true for you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, then this changes everything. If you're in Christ, if his spirit lives in you, then you are a new person. You have a new identity. You now share in Christ's victory. And so when you face sexual temptation, when you're fighting adultery of the heart, the key is to recognize that you are no longer the old man the old woman. That was who you were. That was who you used to be. And when you give in to temptation, when you commit sexual immorality, adultery, when you do that, you're forgetting who you really are because that's not you anymore. Instead, when sexual temptation comes your way, when the devil comes knocking on your door, what do you do? You remember who you are. Now that sounds simple, but Bridge, trust me. We forget all too easy. 
It's hard to truly believe that you're not that person anymore. It's hard to cling to the truth that you are really a child of God. This is something it will take your whole life to learn. Because the world can sometimes seem much louder, much more present, much more attractive. Sexual sin is screaming in your ear that you're no different. That you're, you're, you're just an animal. But bridge, now is the time to turn from the darkness. Now is the time to walk in the light. Now is the time to put sin to death and to live into who you are, the redeemed of the Lord. Now is the time. So bridge, let's start now. Please pray with me. Lord, we confess that we have all all of us engaged in an adultery of the heart. That we have all of us been wayward. That none of our sexualities are whole. God, even if we're straight, even if we're married, even if we're celibate. God, you see all our thoughts, all our intentions all our hopes, all our desires. Lord, you know that at the root of it all, what we desire will destroy us, will break us, will lead to our death. Thank you, Lord, that you've saved us. Thank you, Lord, that you've rescued us from our own death giving us new lives, new bodies, for joining us to your son, to his body. Thank you that in him we are holy. Lord, help us to live as we are, to live gospel lives as gospel people. God, to be who you created us to be, who we were saved to be. Help us to do that, God. Give us the strength to do that by your Holy Spirit ask for his help. This week and the next and the next after that, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us to live lives of holiness, to say no to the devil, God, to throw ourselves upon you. We know we can't do it without you, and so, God, we ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.